We have some boring news, that's true. That's some really boring news. Yeah. That's some Steph Plot news. <laughs> yeah, and indeed, that's She's... what I mean. It's Friday, October the 11th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and The Hague's Designated Survivor, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Tweede Kamer Trivia Expert. Our third regular podcast host and Geert Wilders stalker, Molly Quell, is not with us. She's uh, in court again, and your patron donations are much appreciated. Yes, because we need it for the bail. <laughs> yes, for the bail money. Yeah, uh, otherwise uh, this podcast will uh, will be us for the next uh, five... How, how, how long does she have to, have to yeah, serve? Yeah, I th- think at least three years. Three years, like yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and you, Gordon, you are The Hague's designated survivor. What is that about? Well, just because um, um, uh, I was out of the country last week and while I was away, um, the entire government in The Hague, the mayor <laughs> and the coalition just all completely collapsed. So I came back basically, I think, as the only person in The Hague with uh, the, uh, the only person left uh, in the city, pretty much. <laughs> the the a, only uh, thing that could have made it worse uh, was... Especially the phone call being asked to, asked to come back and take over and, and, and lead a coup <laughs> at the Ice Palace. But, so... Um, so are you, are you now the uh, the new mayor of The Hague? Well, somebody has to be. Oh, yeah. We yeah. will talk about we'll that talk about later that in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that could have made the situation worse in The Hague was if, if someone uh, uh, lighted a huge bonfire on Scheveningen Beach yes. or something. Yeah. It would have destroyed the entire city. Yes. Maybe uh, that's an nearly, idea for the next time. It could be. Yeah, well, the, the, they nearly managed it the first time. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, as we'll talk about later on. But um, meanwhile... <laughs> a lot of cliffhangers uh, in this A uh, lot of cliffhangers in, yeah. in this intro. Yes. We we, we know you're uh, an expert in Twitter crown of trivia, but what's uh, your particular um, reason for listing this this time? Well, this week, um, Marianne Timmer, the founder of the Partij voor de Dieren, mm. she um, left the Tweede Kamer. She resigned as the party leader. Um, yes. And... Uh, the most amazing uh, Tweede Kamer trivia fact emerged out of this because in her goodbye speech she she told us that the first day uh, the first day she arrived in the Tweede Kamer that was 14 years ago or something mm-hmm. she was uh, showed around the uh, Binnenhof complex by someone called Miranda Kip. Right, okay. Which is very, very... Yes. I mean, if you are a Partij voor de Dieren, then of course you should have only been involved with people who uh, whose yep. last names are animals. animal names. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, Kip meaning chicken. Yes, indeed. So I thought yes. that was very, very, very funny. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, and speaking of fresh produce, you have some fresh and tasty opet for, for us, don't you, Bob? I do, I do. And this time it was served by CDA MP Jaco Geurts. I think that's one of these names that Molly will put on her weird Dutch name yeah, list. Yeah, indeed. I think so, yeah. Uh, Jaco Geurts apparently reached his boiling point with the uh, parliamentary canteens because the food on their menus are too foreign. Right. They're closing the borders to food now, are they? Yeah, indeed. (laughs) Geurts proposed that the Tweede Kamer restaurants should only serve food and drinks produced in the Netherlands, and this is in support of the farmers who protested last week. The CDA MP complained that many of the drinks available in the Tweede Kamer come from abroad. Um, He listed sparkly water from London, CO2-neutral green tea from Austria, organic fruit juice from Sicily, and Swedish aloe vera drink with ingredients from Taiwan as examples. Mm. We should just get our pear juice from the Betuwe, he said, and added that Agriculture Minister Carola Schouten should do well to promote the use of local products in the parliamentary kitchens. Yeah, they should probably just not get their pear juice from anywhere, because pear juice is disgusting. 
<laughs> so no caramel, no pear juice. I don't think there's uh, much much more left on the Dutch menu, I think. Um, critics of the plan were quick to point out that the minister's portfolio does not extend to the food and drinks served in the Tweede Kamer, but that didn't stop the CDA MP to bring the issue forward in this week's agricultural budget debate. Others said the issue is not a hot potato and we have much bigger fish to fry, such as the stickstoff issue. Yes, yes. Uh, and it was uh, uh, it was Ben Coates who pointed out uh, when, when this news broke, he said, hasn't uh, Dutch MP suffered enough? <laughs> Indeed, without having to endure fricadelle in the canteen. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. even though broodje croquette is very nice. Broodje croquette is lovely, yes. It was, uh, uh, that as okay. it was nationale croquette, though. Yes. But uh, I thought as well that uh, most um, uh, a lot of MPs, anyway, um, uh, just... Uh, go out to the herring stool outside the Binnenhof anyway. So <laughs> that's why you mostly see them at lunchtime. So, uh, so wow, everyday herring for lunch. <laughs> Dutch food yeah. is disgusting. <laughs> it's, a, um, it's a very good herring stool, that one outside the Binnenhof. Is yeah. it? Oh, yeah, I don't really like that's herring, it. so I never I never yeah, go fine. there. Um, but I do love uh, kibbling, though. So do they serve that as well? I don't I, I haven't been there for a while. I'm not ah, sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I have to compliment you on the number of food puns you managed to squeeze into yes, that uh, segment as well. I well did then. my best. <laughs> Before we do our roundup of the week's news, we'd like to invite you to take part in Dutch News's annual readers' survey. Our survey gives us a clearer picture of who our readers are in the Netherlands and what kind of news they want to see. If you give us your email address, we'll also enter you into a draw to win a book token to spend in the American Book Centre. We'll include a link to the survey in the liner notes, and it's also available on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. Yes, and if you go to dutchnews.nl, you'll get spammed by uh, pop-ups. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. This week, we'll ask who's in charge of The Hague following a perfect storm of political opf. find out about a groundbreaking development in Eindhoven, and see if fines for texting on the bike are having any effect. In our discussion, we'll look at who might be leading the coalition parties when the next election comes around in 18 months' time. Uh, the Hague's mayor, Pauline Krikke, resigned on Monday following last week's damning report into the New Year bonfire affair. I almost said Bonnetjes affair. Bonnetjes affair, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you almost have slipped into that. In, so, indeed, yeah. 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 become automatic almost. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Krikke made the announcement in a video posted on Instagram in which she stressed the neutrality of the Dutch safety boards which wrote the report. The report slammed the mayor, the municipality and other officials for knowing that safety rules and agreements were ignored and broken by the people who built the bonfires on Scheveningen Beach. The pile of pellets were 10 meters too high when they were set on fire on New Year's Eve, sending out clouds of cinders into Scheveningen and igniting hundreds of small fires which caused a million euros of damage. The mayor and the municipality did not take measures out of fear of social unrest in Scheveningen and the rival neighborhood of Duindorp. Local party leaders have described her decision to step down as sensible and unavoidable. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't think many people argue with that. And, uh, of course, this, given what happened last week, leaves the city in a somewhat chaotic state. Somewhat chaotic. (laughs) uh, Almost Brexit chaos. (laughs) Yes, Uh, nearly. Not quite. Nearly. Not quite, no. Because last week the city's coalition collapsed after two aldermen of the largest party, Groep de Mos, in the city council, resigned following allegations of corruption and bribery. This included the party's founder, leader and the deputy mayor of The Hague, Richard de Mos, He's also the, the name giver of the party. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, deputy mayor of uh, of the Hague resigned as well, and now the real mayor too. So this uh, leaves the city effectively without an administration or a mayor. Mm. 
and uh, because the mayor is also uh, responsible for safety, um, yeah. yeah, there is no one taking care of that as well. No, even and though, policing as well. And policing yeah. too, even though she had to resign because she didn't take care of the of safety. safety. Yes. Um, the city quickly found an interim mayor in the person of Johan Remkes, who we will from now on refer to as Mr. Stickstoff. <laughs> so Mr. Stickstoff, Mr. Nitrogen, because... Mm, because uh, he wrote the uh, the Nitrogen report yes. uh, that came out two, three yeah. weeks ago or something. Yeah. Which has kind of stalled the entire building and construction industry and angered the farmers. Indeed. So, yeah, so, yeah, so he comes in with, no, yeah, not, not exactly from a... a uh, uncontroversial background. Mm, well, no. Well, <laughs> well, if you ask the farmers, uh, the, the, he's very controversial. That's, yes. that's true. Um, but this did, his uh, appointment did not go without drama and chaos as well, because before the official announcement, uh, his appointment was leaked <laughs> to local broadcaster Omroep West. Yeah. They got their hands on an audio recording made during a strictly confidential meeting between the city's party leaders uh, and Zuid-Holland's commissaris van der Koning, Jaap Smit, sort of mm. the governor of, uh, yeah. of the province. The, the king's commissioner. Yeah, yeah. Who, uh, yeah, who is in charge of uh, s- sort of uh, sorting out this sort of uh, situations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the King's Commissioner informed them of Remke's appointment, but uh, someone taped it and leaked it to the press. Yeah. Um, Jaap Smit was also very critical on the City Council's professionalism and integrity, uh, right. you could hear in these uh, recordings. Yeah, in this recording, which was then uh, yeah, uh, leaked to the press, which will suggest there's uh, still problems with professionalism and integrity. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Proving his point, yeah. yeah, yeah indeed, yeah. yes. I do like the idea of Mr. Stickstoff. It's like, it might become my new favourite Mr. Men character. <laughs> Um, yeah, but but you know everything that has to to do with the appointment of new mayors or interim mayors that's always very secretive. Yes, it's all supposed to be handled in complete confidence, isn't it? And it's not supposed to be yeah. announced until the king has actually um, endorsed the the person who's been um, recommended to him. Uh, it, uh, the city council even filed a formal complaint about this uh, because apparently they uh, take it very secret. I I just wonder who of the city council. Will, <laughs> what if the person who actually recorded this and leaked it to the press uh, is the one appointed to file the formal complaint? How will that How will that look like? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you imagine it'll somehow circle back to Richard Ricardo Moss because everything <laughs> in the Hague seems to. You know, so I, I love the fact that in, in the detail and Richard Moss story that he had a consultancy called um, so that like uh, the Demos consultancy. Yeah. Which said on its website that basically its job was to help people get uh, permits for building oh, work. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was wow. a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, so I mean, it wasn't too hard to find out the person who was... Um, handing out, it was handing out uh, permits for building work. Yeah, yeah, within, within the council when um, <laughs> yeah when the corruption inquiry began. Yeah, but you live in the Hague. Is it something yes. that uh, that people in the Hague talk about, or is it something that you uh, really has effects on you? Or um, personally, uh, no. But I think uh, yeah, everyone's kind of in. It. I think just a bit stunned that this has all happened. This all is all conflated at once. You got two on the face of it. Um, uh, uh, unrelated scandals have blown up at the same time. It's quite remarkable. I have to say, I think people are more concerned about the um, the bonfire because that caused you know almost everyone in the bike knows someone whose bike melted basically because <laughs> they they went up to Schaffenia yeah. Beach at the at New Year and they came back and and literally I mean, people just came back after these these fires and these kind of fire tornadoes had swept across the beach and they found their bike tires had melted and they had to walk home. And the other thing is a lot of people are still waiting for compensation. Oh for that. yeah, they, had, they haven't yeah. got their money back, and you know, in some cases, especially people who lived right up at that end of the city, have uh, suffered quite a lot of damage. Yeah, the, these mm. images were, were all very terrifying, yeah. especially the fire tornadoes that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that we've seen on uh, Scheveningen Beach. Yeah. Researchers at Eindhoven University have taken a major step towards developing the world's first artificial womb for premature babies. 
They've been given a 2.9 million euro grant by the European Union to develop the technology, which was first unveiled a year ago at Dutch Design Week. The researchers say the money will allow them to produce a working prototype within five years. The womb replicates conditions in a real womb by allowing the fetus to develop inside a fluid-filled, temperature-controlled bio-bag. Crucially, the oxygen supply is much more like the natural womb than existing incubators, so there's less strain on the lungs and intestines while they're developing. At the moment, babies born after 22 weeks of pregnancy only have a 10% chance of survival, while those born after 24 weeks have a 60% chance, but many are left with lifelong conditions such as brain damage, respiratory problems or blindness. Eindhoven Professor Guit Oi, who is also a gynaecologist at the Maxima Medical Center, said the artificial wombs have the potential to be a game-changer. Yeah, very uh, very impressive uh, yeah. uh, breakthrough here. Yeah, real yeah. groundbreaking technology. And uh, you've got real... I think it, it it's meant to... Well, the idea is it will benefit particularly those babies who are born between 24 and 28 weeks. Yeah, this... this have big uh, complications. The, the chances of survival are... Uh, there's such a difference between two weeks. It's yeah, they go really up remarkable. enormously. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm not a biologist of any kind, but uh, it, it clearly... It seems to be to do with the way the lungs develop in the womb. Yeah. Mm, they, yeah. just, they just can't take um, yeah, being being hooked up to incubator tubes uh, when they're when they're that delicate. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. if you don't have the, you have this instead, then they're more likely to survive in theory. Yeah, very impressive yeah. Uh, development from yes. uh, from Eindhoven. Junior Interior Minister Raymond Knops announced that he is uncertain the ambitions plan to renovate the Binnenhof complex can go ahead next year. It is very likely that the renovation of the parliamentary complex in The Hague will have to be delayed for at least a year, he announced, stating security reasons and the recent Council of State ruling on nitrogen emissions as the main reasons for the delay. Thank you, Mr. Stikstof. Yes. The 475 million euro renovation of the complex, of which some parts date back to the 13th century, was due to start in September 2020 and would last five and a half years. But it is highly expected, mostly by us, mm-hmm. that uh, the cost will uh, turn out to be much more and uh, yeah, it will take much it will longer. Take longer. Than the, uh, all these build- it happens with all these building projects, inevitably. They Indeed. go on much longer and they cost much more. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, the newest part uh, of the Binnenhof houses the Tweede Kamer and was opened in 1992, but has only undergone minor repair and maintenance since then. And they've installed a flag. They installed a flag, (laughs) yeah. yeah, very. They installed two flags because (laughs) the first one had to be replaced because it was too small. The verbouwing has already caused a lot of drama, most notably the recent sacking of the project's architect, whose plans were deemed to be too uh, grandiose. including uh, the famous uh, interior yes. tropical garden that she, uh, that she planned. Yeah. The complex's users, which include the lower house, the upper house, the prime ministerial and the cabinet office, as well as the council of state, a lot of users in the Binnenhof. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you always think it's only the Tweede Kamer, but it's actually no, a lot of... A there's lot a whole of other... complex behind. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Um, and they will all have to uh, move out temporarily. The mm. Senate will go to uh, a former city palace uh, a few streets away, while the Tweede Kamer will move into the former Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which is described by some as a depressing monkey rock, yeah. and by our very own Molly Quell as something that was built by the Soviet version of Antoni Gaudi. <laughs> which I still an impressive find, description. Yeah, it was very on point, because it's very, very ugly. It's if very you, you, should, you should Google this building, because it really it's, is. Uh, it's a it terrible building. It does look like something that was just... Uh, um, yeah, um, imported from East Germany on the back of a lorry or something. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I have to say, I think the most important element in the design of a new trade account building, you know what I think it is? Well, not well. That they have to have, the important thing is to have a very big, impressive looking wooden door 
for the cameras to point at when they're having the coalition talks because that's all you see for months and months and months on the news you just see footage of a big wooden door so have to have a telegenetic a telegenic wooden door yeah yeah it, whenever there is a, a crisis or some negotiation or whatever then they, the, the coalition parties they meet in, in some room and all the media they just point their cameras on this door yeah. behind which they say yeah. they are meeting. We, yes. we never know for certain, of course. And then, uh, yeah, that's all we see. It's very uh, very typical indeed. And um, uh, the Rijksvastgoedbedrijf, mm. uh, they released some photos of, uh, of the new Senate building, or at least the temporary Senate building. Uh, mm-hmm. We have it here in front of us. What do we think? Yeah, um, this is a temporary Senate building. Again, it just looks like a classroom from like uh, from North Korea or something. <laughs> yeah, indeed, <laughs> and every Senate has its own radiator. Yeah, it looks like. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, well, they're all getting they're all getting on a bit, aren't they? So they probably need to warm their feet. Yeah, to, indeed, to, to, indeed. To keep the circulation going. Yes. No, it's uh, not a very nice building, but hopefully no, it's uh, not beautiful. But oh, only a temporary home. Yes, uh, for well. Well, yes. An infinite amount of time, probably. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there's also been some other um, less significant news uh, in The Hague. Isn't in- there? Indeed. Yes. Uh, if you ever needed proof that Dutch politics is the most boring thing ever, then the news that the coalition losing its majority in the lower house um, yeah, is widely considered as uh, minor news, yes. basically. So it has no effect. It has no effect no. whatsoever. Uh, what happened? MP Wiebren van Haga was kicked out of the VVD, the coalition's largest party, after it emerged that he had broken his promise to keep his property business shopper the pop that's that's the name of his company <laughs> say that again shopper the pop shopper the pop shopper the pop um yeah he promised to to keep this business uh, at arm's length but he has broken this promise yeah. uh, van haga was also involved uh, uh, in a number of other scandals before including driving under the influence of alcohol and uh, also aggressively contacting his tenants yeah. um he took two weeks to consider if he would leave the Tweede Kamer, but this week he announced that he will go on as an independent MP, meaning that the coalition officially lost its one-seat majority. Yeah, and he's also been kicked out of the VVD now. Uh, yeah, because he took yeah. uh, took took uh, his seat uh, yes. with him. Yeah. yeah, he refused to hand it back to the party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this, however, as you said, will not have any implications whatsoever because Van Haga has said that he will always support the coalition's proposal. VVD leader Klaas Dijkhoff called Van Haga in a statement a seat snatcher. Yes. Now, there's been a lot of controversy about this seat snatching business and the fact that MPs are elected on a party list, but then they don't have to give their seat back. No. There's been a lot of um, MPs, uh, well, some politicians have said that uh, this system should be changed, so this seat snatching, uh, uh, this business of uh, holding onto a seat should be discouraged. Do we have any examples from about the last three years of a politician who uh, said this would be a good idea to dissuade seat snatching? Uh, I believe one person, um, uh, uh, the, the the owner of a company called Shopper the Pop, um, <laughs> Wiebren van Haga, tweeted yes. this uh, three or four ah, years he? ago. Yes. Yeah, he ah. said that uh, uh, yeah, if, if someone leaves uh, uh, the party or a faction, then he should always give back his seat but yeah, yeah now he um, he decided otherwise for yes, some reason yes he, he thought that um, one man uh, parties were, were should should not be allowed at the um, in, in, in the dutch parliament yeah indeed yeah. and he, he proposed a kiesdrempel uh, yes. sort of uh, minimum a, of five seats minimum of yes. five seats yeah. for parties so yeah he uh, uh, funny how uh, how uh, how principles yes. can change yes, in funny a few circumstances years. can change your point of view indeed indeed yeah. but it is strange of course because people who uh, you know most mps uh, we we probably know the party leader, maybe the number two mm. and the number three, but all the other MPs, nobody has ever heard of them. And mm. they're the only reason that they are 
uh, they have a seat in the Tweede Kamer is not because people voted for them personally, but mm. because they voted for a party or yes. the party leader. Uh, so, yeah, it is f from that point of view, it is very strange that uh, MPs are considered to be, you know, actually an independent person. Mm -hmm. So they can decide whatever they want to do with their seat. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's one of that's a sort of disbalance between yeah. in in our system, I I think. Yeah. So technically, they are elected as individuals, but actually, from the voters' point of view, it's almost always you, you get into parliament on the basis of what party uh, ticket you represent. Indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Stickstoff, <laughs> here he is again. Yes. He uh, he also um, uh, 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 he was also the chair of another commission which sort of looked into uh, reforming the parliamentary system and electoral system in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, and I want. I wonder if he also wrote something about, uh, uh, you know, this practice of MPs leaving and just taking their seats with them. I, yeah. I'm very curious now, actually. But uh, yeah, Remkes, he's all over the place, yeah, apparently. It all comes back to him. It all comes back to him, yeah. yeah. The partial ban on face coverings, widely known as a burqa ban, has, quote, no place in a country that promotes equality between men and women. That was the conclusion of the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Racial Discrimination, Tendai Akiume. In a preliminary report presented in The Hague on Monday, she said, quote, The political debate surrounding the adoption of this law makes plain its intended targeting of Muslim women. Even though the legislation was carefully framed to cover all types of face covering, including motorcycle helmets. People who wear face covering headgear in schools, hospitals and public buildings, or on public transport, can be given a €150 Euro fine if they refuse to remove it. Akiyume is due to submit her final report to the UN Human Rights Council in July next year. So uh, why exactly was she in the Netherlands this week? Uh, because the country is a signatory to the UN's International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. <laughs> very, <laughs> a, a very handy, <laughs> succinct nice title. Name. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. just rolls from the tongue. Yeah, this is called the Mr. Stickstoff Convention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. But um, And that means that uh, the country is inspected every four years uh, to see how, what progress it's making on uh, eliminating racism. Last time around, in 2015, the coverage was dominated by the issue of Svata Piet, and the pre because the previous year, the head of the UN's Human Rights Committee, Verena Shepherd, had pitched into the debate when she said the practice of wearing blackface for the Sinterklaas festivities should stop. It was only four years ago that she wrote this report. Yeah, these reports were every four years. It just feels like uh, it feels was much longer. It feels like we've been having now. this debate for decades. For decades now, yeah. but it's only four years. That's interesting. Yeah. Because this, with this report, she sort of also sparked the national debate on Sweater Pete as well. Yeah, well, it, it kind of stoked it, definitely. I think yeah. it kicked off, really, with the arrest of Quintigario and, um, uh, and two activists, one of whom was Quintigario in the Dordrecht, which I think was 2012 from memory. I oh, think that's okay. when it really flared up and ah. this this kind of yeah, but this added a bit more put a bit more fuel on the fire. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, so they, they were protesting against uh, they were uh, wearing t-shirts saying Swatapita's racism and they got beaten up by the police and mm. it got very ugly. Did Akume uh, have anything to say about uh, the current Swatapita situation? Yes, that was one of the more positive points in her report. She said the country had made good progress in removing the quote dehumanizing and stereotype aspects of the tradition. Blackface Pete's have been dropped from the children's TV show Sinterklaas Journal and the St. Nicholas Ceremonial Parade in November, so they say things are moving in the right direction. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I have to say with, with the Burka ban, you know, I think uh, because um, it's interesting the fact that it's been framed in this way to make it look, to take the kind of religious as cultural aspect out of it, when the, I think the, her point was that the political debate made it clear it was against Muslims. I'd be interested to see 
if somebody went, if you've sent two people around, one with the, in a burqa and one with a motorcycle helmet on, and see which of them picked up the most fines during the course of the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm curious of that as well. Yeah. yeah, but the only reason that they included this sort of um, general face uh, covering aspect in this mm. law was to make it legal, because yes. otherwise you could never have. No, because uh, after put this one, the Constitution law. says that you cannot discriminate on grounds of religion. No, no, yeah. indeed. So yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, very, very strange, funny thing, is it? Yeah. Over 9,200 cyclists have been fined for using their mobile phones while riding their bikes since the ban was introduced on July 1st, according to Justice Minister figures. Cyclists risk a fine of 95 euros if they use their phones without hands-free equipment on their bikes. In total, the police issued 2.8 million fines for traffic offences between May 1st and August 31st, a drop of 300,000 on a year ago. Some 44,000 people were fined for using their phones in traffic, in both cars and on bikes. Speeding is the most common traffic offence. Almost 2.5 million people were fined for driving too fast. Most of the offences were recorded digitally on speed cameras, the Justice Ministry said. Okay, so it seems like it is having a bit of an effect than the uh, the fine for texting on the bike. Yeah, apparently, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I have to admit that since the um, since the ban was introduced on July first, I I actively try not to use my phone on the bike. So for me, it actually works. Yeah, know? me too. Yeah. I, do, I very rarely, or yeah, only if I'm like stopped at lights or something. Yeah, or, or yeah. I'm quite more conscious about uh, the fact. Yeah, you could potentially be fine. I haven't though seen anyone being stopped and fined. No, or I haven't heard of anyone it's happened to. No, me neither. Uh, but I also yeah. never seen anyone who was uh, fined for not uh, for for cycling without a light on or something. No. Or, or something. Even though that also happens all the time. You 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 constantly hear people say that they were fined because they didn't have a light on. Yeah. I'm never fined for for not having a light on, even mm-hmm. though I literally never have a light on my bike. <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, maybe I should uh, should maybe not sh- have, maybe I should not have jinxed this because no, uh, no now you will get fined. Uh, yeah, definitely some, by next week yeah. um okay and there was uh, more news about uh, bikes as well this week yes because the number of cyclists admitted to hospitals uh, with serious injuries has risen over 30 percent in 10 years according to safety expert center veiligheid nl last year 47,000 cyclists were taken to the hospital after an accident the nos said uh, there was a rise in the uh, admittance to both of both elderly cyclists many of whom use electric bikes and youngsters in particular, youngsters are likely to be more reckless in traffic and are, are often distracted by other things, uh, such probably as their mobile phone, mobile I think. Phones, yeah. um, the agency said it expects the number of people being injured to continue to rise as the population becomes older. Mm. However, improving the cycling infrastructure and information campaigns targeting particular risk groups uh, will also help to reduce the number of accidents. Yeah, and I think e-bikes as well have uh, made older people a bit more vulnerable because they cycle for longer. Uh, you know, they, they cycle when they're maybe... Uh, they're not actually strong enough to push a traditional bike. Yeah, and and they go far, the bikes go faster than they can much really faster. Yeah, 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 much faster. Yeah. Um, uh, what is an an positive uh, development though is that uh, in a couple of years before these e-bikes were very heavy because the mm. the um, the motors really heavy. The yeah. motors and yeah. the battery is yeah. the battery in particular was very yeah. heavy, uh, but uh, they seem to be um, uh, getting lighter and lighter. So yeah. uh, what you often see is that when an uh, elderly pe- elderly person fell from his bike then the, the bike would fell on top of it him crush them. and would crush him yeah, yeah and they couldn't get up or, um, mm. maybe maybe sort of resulting in in all sorts of other dangerous situations yeah but as these bikes become lighter you know that that problem is uh, sort of uh, uh, resolved now yes 
Football news now. The Netherlands took a big step towards qualifying for Euro 2020 with a 3-1 win over Northern Ireland on Thursday night, but only after surviving a big scare in Rotterdam. The unfancied visitors went 1-0 up in the 74th minute of a frankly dreadful game when Matthijs de Ligt made a total hash of a clearance. Josh McGuinness headed in from close range, but the lead only lasted five minutes when Memphis Depay side-footed in. Then in injury time, Luke de Jong scored a bizarre goal, tapping in his own miscued shot from about six inches, and Depay slided in a third with the only decent move of the game. Manager Ronald Koeman admitted his team had been, quote, sloppy, but the result sends them to the top of Group C with three matches to play. Their next game is away to Belarus on Sunday. Yeah, I didn't watch it, but I... You, you, uh, you missed nothing. <laughs> it was I missed terrible. Yeah. And it got very dramatic in the last 15 minutes, I have to say. But until then, it was... Yeah, the, the standard of the game was awful. <laughs> I have to say. What, what, what did you tweet? You had this tweet. Uh, uh, I think I just said something like it was being... Uh, the, 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 the highlights can be brought up by Bruno Browns and then distributed <laughs> as a cure for insomnia. <laughs> Although, it did, as I say, it suddenly got exciting when Northern Ireland scored and the Dutch had to uh, get their act together. Yes, yeah. they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also what happened to the gymnastic team that was a bit of a sort of a, a, a shambles to rival the situation in the government in the hague <laughs> uh, the men's team were trying to qualify for next year's olympics in tokyo and a lot uh, um, hung on the performance of their uh, their, their big Literally. star <laughs> yes uh, i'm glad molly's not here for this <laughs> Uh, Epka Zonderland but sadly Epka proved to be an epic flop he fell from the horizontal bar and that meant the team which looked on course to scrape into the top 12 qualifying places finished 17th and will not go to Tokyo Zonderland still has a chance to qualify for the individual horizontal bar which is the event he won in London in 2012 spectacularly spectacularly yes yeah. he told NOS quote I missed the bar not a mistake I would have made if I'd been completely fit Hmm. Uh, I think that's uh, um, fairly elementary. Yeah, <laughs> the women's team. The women's team had better luck. They qualified in fourth place. Ah, well, that's. Uh, so uh, that does that mean that they'll go to the uh, Olympics? I mean, that as means well? they'll go. They'll, yeah, the team will go to the Olympics. Ah, yeah, that's nice. That's team. nice. Yeah. yeah, and all these um, gymnasts, they were very disappointed because they they all said it's much more fun to to go to uh, the Olympics uh, together as a team. Yes, indeed. Uh, rather than uh, uh, individually, which is which makes it even more sadder because yeah, very often when you have these athletes, they are very you know, um, more, much more egocentric, let's yes. say that. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, f- it's just a shame that they uh, that they will not go to Olympics. But, yeah, because Holland is sort of the... Uh, someone who uh, we all think always wins. Yeah, we think he's invincible. No, he's he's very, that, invincible that's the second indeed. time he's had a fall in a major event as well, yeah. isn't he? Because he yeah. fell in the last Olympics, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah. Uh, millions of people were watching yeah. this, and yeah. felt it was uh, very, very disappointing yeah. as well. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully, so sad, sad for Epka, but he he still has a chance to to, to qualify. Although it's going to be harder for him now. Yeah, so indeed. Yeah. We'll be discussing the Stooladance in the coalition parties after this word from our sponsors. <laughs> Zeteldance. Zeteldance. Yes, yeah, yes. M- musical chairs. Yeah. If you appreciate our efforts to make sense of the latest news and political events in the Netherlands, or you just think Truby deserves a better class of dog food, you can help us by becoming a Patreon sponsor. All new Patreons will get a shout-out on the next podcast, and you can ask us a pertinent question or a totally random one, within reason. <laughs> just don't ask me about the standard of music in Dutch supermarkets. <laughs> yeah, or, or the standard of music in the Netherlands in general. In general, yes, on the radio, yeah. yeah. I, I was I was in the shops yesterday, and I'm not joking, uh, on two okay, two separate occasions in two separate uh, shops, I heard Ronan Keating's Life is a Roller Coaster. <laughs> and if, if it happened a third time, I think I would have actually emigrated again. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the UK. 
<laughs> no, not back to the UK. Somewhere else. Oh. This this week we welcome two new patrons. Thanks to Carol Jackson, who doesn't have a question for us, but we appreciate your support very much. All the same. Yeah. We also say thank you to Robert Tenkate. Uh, I'm going to go with that pronunciation from Boise, Idaho, in the US. That's the capital of Idaho. The capital of Idaho. Yeah. Thank you. And, that's, and see, you're not just uh, for Twitter Kama trivia. Also no. for the US uh, geography trivia. I know all the capitals of all <laughs> the US states. Yeah, I'm amazed how many people do know that kind of information. I don't have to say. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if I say um, New York State. Uh, and now I do know this. This is New Jersey. No, it's not New. No, no, no. It's Albany. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Which previously was <laughs> named Beverwijk. Ah, no, I did not know either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. they hunted beavers there. Right. The Dutch, though. The Dutch hunted the beavers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Before the, before they uh, sold it in exchange for Suriname. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Robert is of Dutch Indonesian descent. He tells us, and he also says, "quote Whenever I visit my Dutch cousins, they are impressed with my knowledge of current affairs in the Netherlands." And to this, uh, I owe my thanks to Dutch news. Oh wow. Yeah. So we're happy to take the credit for that, Robert. In the absence of any other evidence, uh, he asks us, "quote How do you choose which outtake to use to open the podcast each week?" Mm. Usually what we do is we just open the microphone before we start and yeah. then Molly rants about something. <laughs> Basically, and, yeah. And that is our outtake. We have a clip from that, yeah. Yes. No, yeah. as we are we, as we are editing the podcast, we, in, um, uh, contrary to popular belief, this is not a one-take uh, no, podcast. you never tell. We, we, you never tell. <laughs> no, sometimes, uh, very often we make tiny mistakes or we uh, have a slip of the tongue or whatever. Yeah, and or, we, there's a, or there's a pronunciation issue often indeed, comes up. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that often comes up. Yeah. And as we are re- editing it together... We we sort of uh, select uh, all sorts of candidates for yeah. the outtakes. Yeah, then, usually, uh, usually something that just makes us laugh in the course of editing. We'll yeah. just uh, cut and paste and stick on the front. Indeed. That ten, tends to be how it works. Yeah. We also have a follow-up from uh, Stephen Wienemann. Uh, Steve got in touch too late for us to give him more than a brief shout-out last week, but uh, he's since uh, replied, and so we can now tell you he's from a Dutch community um, near a place called Holland in western Michigan. Ah, Lots my, of Dutch uh, communities called Holland. In yeah, that part in my uh, great aunt uh, lives close by. Um, oh. Next to Holland, you have a town called Zeeland. Right. Zeeland, as yeah. uh, prob- the Americans would probably pronounce yeah. it. And um, Great Rapid or something. I'm great not, uh, Rapids? Some Grand, ra- Grand Rapids? Grand Rapids, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where my uh, great uh, great uh, aunt lives. Yeah, she, okay. she immigrated there in the 1950s. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, have you been out there? No. Okay. Um, but, uh, Steve and his wife are now settled in Genoa, in Illinois. Um, he also has his own podcast. So in the spirit of Rich Richard de Moss, we're very happy <laughs> to engage in a bit of blatant log rolling and nepotism. Uh, his website is at mentalnotions.wordpress.com. He asks us, quote, I've been listening with special interest in news about Friesland, but I don't think I've heard many stories. Is that because the Frisians are especially law-abiding or because their news follows separate channels? Well, I think we've had some stories about Friesland, haven't we? Yes. Especially and the, the, the blockier Friesland. Yes, uh, speaking of law-abiding <laughs> Frisians, uh, it were the Frisians who blocked the motorway in order to prevent yeah. people from, uh, you know, uh, 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 executing their constitutional rights to yeah. demonstrate they, they, so they, they park their forklift trucks on the on the motorway to indeed, stop yeah, people to demonstrating against the right of peace so no not not, not always totally law-abiding no no no, no. Uh, and if you want to uh, read more about uh, news from Friesland uh, mm. Omroep Friesland the sort of local um, uh, broadcaster of Friesland they have their website and if you their website is both in Friesian and in Dutch so yes. if you are from is he from Dutch heritage yeah yes our Dutch think, community yeah. well if you um, uh, if you read some Dutch, then you can uh, follow the news there. And um, Frisian is actually 
more related to English than it is. Dutch. It is maybe. closer to English. Yeah, there was. I mean, yeah, the Frisian word for cheese is cheese. Yeah, rather yeah. than cass. And, uh, yeah. That's sort of all that kind of business. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, oh, the, the, the other big Frisian news that sort of we don't cover these days is, uh, of course, the Elstedertocht because yeah. it doesn't happen anymore. No, no. So, but, but, but if that ever does happen, that will be the biggest news in uh, yeah uh, ever. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And if it doesn't happen, then that's also news. It is also so, news. Yeah. We also have a guest appearance at this point from Molly, who was at the expat fair uh, at the weekend. So here's how she got on. This is Molly just popping in. I am not here this week because I have a secret clandestine meeting with the Brexit Muppet. Um, but I just wanted to record this. I just got home from the I Am Not a Tourist Fair in Amsterdam. It's organized by Expatica. Dutch News has a stand there every year, and it's really nice to meet a lot of our readers and more and more frequently now a lot of the podcast listeners. And I just wanted to highlight a couple of people who I met in particular. Uh, Marina Bellicocho. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. She's from Argentina and she came up to say hi and to share the fact that a Dutch news article had been uh, shared in a or cited in an Argentinian newspaper, um, which she thought was really, uh, really a lot of fun. And she also listens to the podcast. So thanks for being a great listener, Marina. And also there was an American couple who came up to say hi, uh, whose names I completely did not catch. It was quite loud uh, in the building where we were. But uh, first, the wife came up to say that she really liked the podcast and that she wanted to introduce herself to me. And then later, her husband came up and said the same, that they had been listening from uh, California, where they were living before they moved to the Netherlands. Uh, and they were really, really nice. And I'm super glad that you guys said hi. So drop us an email. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can use your actual names, which I unfortunately was not able to catch uh, during the conversation. But of course, we love to have people come up and say nice things to us. And if you want to say uh, crappy things to us, you can direct all of your comments to Paul. The leader of the Desensestach parliamentary group, Rob Yetten, celebrated his first anniversary in the job this week. Yetten took over from Alexander Pechtold after just a year and a half as an MP. However, he's expected to face strong competition when the party chooses a new leader next year for the election in 2021. And in fact, three of the coalition parties could have new faces at the helm when the next election comes round. The Christian Democrats are due to choose a permanent replacement for Sivan Buma next year, and Mark Rutte has said he's not seeking a fourth term as Prime Minister, although that is now in doubt. But with 18 months to go, which is uh, less time than you might think, we thought we'd have an early look at the state of the parties, and also ask if a change of leader might change the picture. So first of all, let's talk about Yetten, who took out an advert and uh, had a video this week to celebrate this milestone of a whole year surviving as party leader. It's a bit he? bizarre. He tried to look very so stern, you know, he, he's got a bit of a kind of boyish face. I think he's yeah, um, he a does. bit kind of grow up. He's, he's only 32 or something, yeah. so he is very young. Though. He is very young, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Him, certainly in terms of party political leaders. But his um, his his first week or so didn't start that well when he uh, when he started le- uh, a year ago, because um, uh, he was interviewed by ITL News and... Yes. Uh, they asked him a question it was in the days it was all about the dividend tax it yes. was a huge scandal and yeah. they asked him uh, what are you going to do about the dividend tax and he just kept giving the same answer yeah. even though he was he was asked <laughs> different things he was just like kind of a speak your weight machine basically he just uh, he had one prepared line and he just repeated it no matter what the question was indeed yeah, yeah. and it's sort of um, uh, immediately uh, he got the nickname Robolt Yetta yes. uh, which didn't stick though we have no. to uh, we have to admit no, that I have to say uh, that he, d- he does seem to have acquired a personality yeah. In, yeah, <laughs> in the meantime which is which is useful but he uh, of course he he replaced uh, Alexander Pechtold and Alexander yeah. Pechtold was someone who had been in politics for ages for yeah. I think he was 
for 14 years or something, the uh, the party leader of this. Yeah, and Sesta. of course he, he came in when Dyson and Sesta were down to three seats, and he, and he, he, he brought yeah. the party all the way back up and into to, was it 19, I think, and brought them into the coalition. Again. Indeed. So. Uh, at some point, even in the uh, Sesta had no seats in the polls. In the polls, when, yeah. Uh, when Alexander Pechtold started. So yeah. he really sort of built the uh, rebuilt the party uh, mm. uh, in, in, in the 14 years. Yeah. And he was one of the... I have to say, one of the best debaters in Parliament. Yeah. Um, he was quick on his feet, Nipertol. Yeah. He could come up with a quite snappy reply. Yeah, so Yetta uh, had uh, very big shoes to fill. Yeah. Um, he, he sort of always made a very nervous impression, which yeah, is very logical if yeah, you yeah. have such a huge predecessor, of course. Yeah, and he's young and inexperienced, yeah, so he had, to, yeah, he had to learn fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was a big leap of Deza's sister. But yeah. uh, what do you think... Uh, did? Did he grow in the in the in the last year? I think he definitely has become more credible, and I think Jason Zester seems to have a knack of uh, getting their way because the dividend tax has gone, and that wasn't yeah. just their, their their doing. That was partly to the, the way that Unilever stabbed Mark Rutter in the back, so Mark Rutter <laughs> then decided he didn't want the dividend tax anymore. <laughs> Nevertheless, that was something that Zester was very happy to see uh, go. The, the climate accord again; uh, he's made climate much more of an issue for Jason Zester than it was historically, and, and for that's the coalition allowed, as well. For the coalition as well, yeah. yeah. They yeah, and the Kinderpadon as well. That was another thing that. Hmm. Is just very keen to uh, try and uh, sort out. There was a real thorny issue during the coalition talks, and they ended up saying there will be no more extension of amnesty for child refugees. And then, of course, CDR uh, had a change of heart on that because Buma came under pressure from the party yeah. uh, faithful uh, to be more lenient towards people who've been in, in the country for a long time having arrived as children. Yeah, so, uh, so even though they sort <laughs> of address these issues, it's yeah. not particularly they're doing that uh, uh, these issues are resolved it's sort of uh, they sort of roll into it because yeah, other parties it's a reflects all on them but I think he's taking his opportunities well and certainly the, when there was the clash with uh, Dykov about the climate I think uh, Yetton's have handled that quite maturely you know Dykov was um, I think uh, provoking him deliberately a bit I think because we labelled him a climate drama yeah. saying he was hysterical a climate screamer yeah. this happened on a weekend didn't it so, uh, yeah was it was a Saturday, uh, yeah. Saturday so Yetton uh, went on TV yeah. on Saturday or Sunday and said uh, uh, well, okay, uh, why, why don't we pick up the phone and talk about this, which is what he did, and actually they end up resolving the issue quite fast. And the party so, started selling uh, yeah. uh, sweaters with uh, a <laughs> drummer. Uh, yeah, indeed, them, yeah, so. it became a badge of honour, didn't he? He said yeah. that, he said when I go out onto the streets, people say, oh, you should wear that as a, you know, as a label, and say, be, be proud of it, that, yeah. you're, that, that you're speaking up for the climate. So it didn't entirely, uh, yeah, uh, that didn't go the way that Dykov hoped, I think. Well, what I always expect with this, when, when other politicians say something about this, about their coalition partners, is they probably already agreed on the climate agreement but mm-hmm. these parties still need to sort of pretend to their constituents or something yeah. that they are still against it or something yeah right? they, so they have to maintain a kind of distinct line don't they yeah. that's always a danger being coalition that you get your identity gets swallowed up in the yeah, in yeah. The government as, as elections get nearer you find the parties in the coalition start to drift further apart because they want to appeal to their yeah. their own voters again and I think mm-hmm. uh, within the current coalition that we have all these parties they still have their own identity they mm. still distinguish themselves from each other if you compare this for example to the previous coalition between VVD and uh, the Labour Party both these parties weren't very happy that they uh, were sort of forced to yeah. uh, form the coalition with each other. And they, at the end, you, you, you really felt that they were happy that they were going to uh, split up uh, again. Yeah. But um, you said um, it's not clear if uh, Rob Jetter will also be the leader for the next election, in the, the next uh, Tweede Kamer election. He hasn't confirmed that he's going to be a candidate, uh, but uh, given that he's uh, done this very high-profile advert uh, on this week, that sort oh. of seems to be an indication that... Uh, 
uh, he, he, he does want the leadership, the, the Leistrecker position for yeah. the next election, but which who hasn't are, been decided yet. Who are the uh, other contenders? The two main contenders are talked about many are Sigrid Kach, who is the uh, Minister for International Development. Yeah, yeah, sort of the Deputy Foreign Affairs uh, Yeah, there, there are two sort of two Foreign Affairs Ministers, aren't there, because we've got the four-party coalition. Yeah, but, so uh, <laughs> they, need, they needed to come up with some uh, positions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and also Keisha Ornkan, who is uh, the uh, Deputy Prime Minister and Interior Minister. Yeah. yeah. Kach is sort of seen as uh, quite a political heavyweight because of very, very intellectually high-powered. She's a former diplomat, um, a speaker of several languages, uh, including Arabic. Uh, from she worked for the United East. Nations, she? the United she? Nations, yeah. yes, indeed. And, and then uh, Olonkhan, uh, who uh, maybe um, has uh, been slightly tarnished by the fact that she was given the job of abolishing the referendum, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the advisory referendum, which Desus had campaigned for for years and then decided they wanted to scrap. One of the crown jewels <laughs> of Desus when they were founded uh, back in 1966, uh, one of their key goals was they to install sort of di- direct yeah. democracies yeah. in the form of uh, referendum. Them. So yeah. it was very awkward for a Desa minister to scrap uh, the possibility of having a referendum. Yeah, she was targeted quite uh, heavily by uh, parties like Forum for Democracy, wasn't yeah. she, for the fact that she was given this task. Yeah, it's a classic Britain move that as well, isn't it? And any unpleasant job is always um, foisted onto one of the other coalition parties. Indeed, yeah, mm. yeah, he does that very smartly. That's yeah. true. One of the things that impressed me about Sugi Kach was she, she had a meeting recently with uh, members of CIDI, the Center for Information on, on Israel. Yeah. Uh, because there have been questions raised, uh, well, since she took office, really, about the fact that her husband, who is Palestinian, uh, was a minister in Yasser Arafat's cabinet, and then mm. questions about you know whether she would be hostile to Israel or to you know, not stand up for Jewish interests in in the Netherlands or whatever. But uh, and so in the end, um, they asked for a meeting for her. She wants to go with a group of other Palestinian activists uh, who they didn't want. So she ended up going on her own, ah. and she sat in a room uh, with uh, the people from the CD, who are you know a very prominent and um, uh, vociferous uh, pro-Israel lobbying group. Um, and she she managed to win them over and sort of uh, oh, wow. assure them that, uh, that, that, that she was very much uh, somebody who was uh, interested in dialogue and um, uh, judging people as individuals and not as uh, you know, um, uh, one side against the other. And uh, you know, she ended up getting a round of applause. And I think you know, showing her work in the room like that and um, deploying all her political and diplomatic skills, I think, kind of symbolised you know, what kind of a force she could be in an election campaign. Yeah, these are qual- qualities that you, you that you would want in a prime minister. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and another small controversy regarding uh, Kasia Lundgren is that she has two passports. She yeah. is both uh, Dutch, but she's also uh, Swedish. She yes. has a Swedish nationality, and she's also Finnish nobility. Yes, yeah, but doesn't have a Finnish passport. I didn't. I didn't mm. even know that Finland had nobility no. in the country, but uh, <laughs> apparently they do. But yeah, we have of course um, Geert Wilders in our parliament yeah. who is really opposed to the idea of having two passports. Um, yeah. Kasia Lundgren is of course a D sister politician, which is also not. Uh, Wilders is not a huge fan of that no, party as well. No. So he uh, just takes the opportunity of her having two passports to uh, heavily criticize her and sort yeah. of disqualify her as a uh, sort of prime ministerial candidate. Um, this is extra party rules as well. So the new leader has to be chosen by March 2020, which is quite interesting. So they've got to be go 12 months before the election. Oh, 12 months. Oh, yeah, 20, yeah, 20, uh, 20, yeah Because the election is due election. in 2021. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that might work against Desus and Sister, of course. That means the other parties who are choosing new leaders, which we'll come up to in a minute, uh, can maybe wait to see who they select first. And then so, make their decision yeah. based on uh, whoever is chosen uh, by Desus and Sister. Well, it, might, it yeah. might become a factor, certainly. Yeah, yeah, gives yeah them an advantage. definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about the other parties. The CDA, who is currently led by Peter Hemmer, but he said when he was elected that he was a caretaker. He was not going to lead the party for the, into 
to the next election. A Tussenpaus, as uh, we call it in the Netherlands. Ah, very good. An interim pope. Yeah, Yeah. indeed. And he took over Sivan Buma, who resigned to become mayor of Leovara, which seemed to come as a shock at the time, but now we've learned that he wasn't planning to be leader at the, the next election. Yeah, I I didn't know that as well. It yeah. was uh, when he announced his resignation, indeed, that came as a sort of surprise. But when he also announced that he was leaving to become the mayor of Leeuwarden, which mm. is the capital of Friesland, I was like, yeah, this is a very uh, natural a natural step, actually. Yeah. And uh, we, we could have seen this coming. Um, Buma's father and grandfather both were mayors in uh, yes. Frisian cities. So, yeah, it was it was sort of his destiny to become another mayor in Friesland. So he was replaced by Peter Heerma, which is, again, one of these MPs which nobody ever heard of <laughs> no. but Peter Hirma he he always said that I'm not going to be the new leader no. I'm not going to lead the party into the new elections that must be someone else yeah but that raises the question who can that possibly be yeah okay so the, the immediate front runners are two ministers um, Vokke Hoekstra who is a finance minister and Hugo de Jonge who is a uh, minister for health both are kind of seen as uh, lacking name recognition although they've been working on that uh, during the course of the government for example um, by uh, wearing ridiculous shoes indeed and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's an amazing photo shoot of of Hoekstra. I don't know if you've seen it um, in in the gym because he works out a lot. Oh really? And a picture of him with bo- yeah. So Sophia did this whole shoot of him with his boxing gloves on. It's <laughs> incredible. We should okay, we put well, a link into that. Yeah, we should definitely do that. Wopke <laughs> um, uh, Hoekstra, he's the finance minister, and as ever, uh, finance ministers are the most popular ministers yeah. in the cabinet. Yes, um, they're, they're the most trusted ministers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure if that is because uh, they sort of always pick the most qualified person to become the finance minister, or mm-hmm. it's just because. The, the Dutch, they love to keep their books. Yeah, uh, they just like the reputation for financial, prudent financial management. Don't yeah. They? yeah, which is something he's leaned on, especially especially in Europe, where he's been in favour of um, tighter fiscal discipline rules in the European Union. And he says that countries that don't stick to the rules should be should be penalised. Yeah, and um, mm-hmm. uh, the finance minister, Wokuksa, is also not very keen on spending too much money. He, yes. uh, he's always very reluctant in, uh, in giving other ministers no, he, uh, he's a lot got, of money. Yeah, he's got a nickname related yeah. to that, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, you heard this as well? <laughs> yes. What, what is his nickname? He's called the Blockeerfries. Yes. <laughs> Which is a reference to the uh, to the Frisians who blocked the motorway. Yeah. Um, but uh, but he, he blocks spending plans. So yes. ministers go to him. Obviously, any minister who has an idea needs to get money for it. So they, they, they go down the corridor to him and say, can I have money for this project? And he says, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think, again, he, like um, Sigrid Kach, is seen as quite intellectually high-powered. And he, he, he's, he's, he's given speeches in, uh, in English and in German to international audiences. Huh. He's also acquired a kind of bit, bit of a populist streak in his Ohio Schoolazing, which is an annual political speech, one of the major kind of policy-forming uh, speeches yeah. uh, every year, where he talked about protecting Dutch culture and values, standing up for the middle classes as well. He, he echoed a lot of what Sivan Buma had said the previous year. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you really see a difference yeah. between these uh, two CDA candidates. You have yeah. uh, Wopke Hoekstra, who represents the right wing of the CDA party, yeah. and Hugo de Jong, who is uh, uh, much more centrist, basically. Yeah. Um, Buma, indeed, was, you can clearly uh, call him uh, the, the representative of the right wing uh, yeah. uh, side of the party and now you uh, you know the party the CDI will have to elect who will be their new leader so yeah. they have a clear choice which direction will we 
want to go into? Do we yeah. want to go more to the favorite day, uh, more to the right, or do we want to uh, stick to our more traditional position, which yeah. was in the political uh, center? In the political center, yeah, indeed, yeah. Because De Jonge, who is health minister, has um, had quite extensive spending plans uh, on healthcare. Yeah. Um, um, and is also uh, wants to restrict um, the free market in things that in, in the healthcare sector. Yeah. So, so that's a pro welfare position, should we say, uh, that, yeah. that reflects that, that element of the CDR's support. Um, but he's also, um, you know, he, he, he's called Pim for Town, uh, a source of inspiration. And when he was in Rotterdam, he was an alderman in Rotterdam, he, he cooperated closely with Leif Bauer Rotterdam which is the local populist uh, party. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he's, he's not... Uh, in, in, you can't entirely put, um, put him in that left-wing pigeonhole. Mm. He's also behind a very controversial plan in Rotterdam for compulsory contraception for women who were uh, in very uh, low social economic groups and also often vulnerable in the sense they had learning difficulties or... Mm. Uh, I did not notice. Yes, oh. yeah. No, oh. this is quite quite a controversy. Uh, four or five years ago, he said, "quote Not being born is a form of child protection." He said that <laughs> some, some children were born into circumstances that nobody should be expected to live in, hmm. and the best thing was just to make sure they weren't born in the first place. Okay, that wow. was the thinking. Yeah, caused quite a concern. That the CDI in Parliament said there was no way they were going to get behind this plan. So. Okay. It's, uh, okay. But that was that was very much he he, he was pushing that idea very much. Well, so Rotterdam was, has some of the most deprived communities in in the Netherlands, so... Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, yeah interesting, I didn't know this. Yeah. Um, but we also have a, a female candidate yes, in the Yes, there's a candidate, Mona Kaiser. So, yeah, yeah what, what do we know about her? Mona Kaiser, she started as an, I think, an alderman in Volendam or something, mm-hmm. something like that, and then she uh, became a CDA MP. She's now in the cabinet as one of the junior uh, ministers, and she is. Uh, she's always been a very vocal uh, MP, I think. She's one of these, uh, yeah, we just talked about the sort of invisible MPs, which nobody yeah. knows. I think she was one of the faces of the CDA party when she was uh, still in the, in the Tweede Kamer. Yeah. So she's quite well known and she never made a secret that she sort of has the ambition to become the new party, uh, party leader. Yeah. Uh, she's also whispered to be one of the people who sort of influenced Buma into uh, accepting the kinderpardon. Right. Uh, she, uh, she, she had some influence there as yeah. well. So she, you could also say that she might be representing the left-wing uh, side of the party, mm-hmm. um, even though also she has some uh, versatility, versatility here as well, just yeah. like uh, Hugo de Jonge. Do you yeah. think she is a good candidate for... Yeah, I, I think I think she really has her work cut out to get past both Popka Hoekstra and uh, Hugo de Jonge. She and might be she somehow splits the vote between the two and becomes mm. a unity candidate. But uh, I don't see the rivalry between, uh, although they're both very ambitious and they both want the job, I don't see the rivalry between Hoekstra and de Jonge is that bitter. Kaiser is the outsider, I think, in that trio. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. 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 But um, she is a good candidate. I think she's yes. quite popular within the party, just like uh, the other three as well. So they, yeah. if I have to make a guess, I think they both have equal chances now right now yeah yeah and it's interesting as well i think that uh, we've mentioned before we, we, although we have a lot of parties in the netherlands there are basically four that make up the government which is uh pvda cda and uh none of these parties has ever had a female leader VVD almost <laughs> with Rita no, nearly with Rita Verdonk, <laughs> but it didn't happen. No. That didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a strange thing, isn't it? In uh, in, in Dutch politics, yeah, in, 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 in the Netherlands, which you think of as a, a as a country that's progressive, women 
haven't made it to the top of, of, of the parties of government. No, even though we have to point out uh, that, for example, the uh, chairmanship of the Tweede Kamer, we've had four yeah. women now. Yes, um, uh, so in some areas it's it's fine, uh, yeah. the, the sort of spreading between uh, men and women. But yeah, for in terms of party leadership, yeah, that's uh, something that's sort of lacking behind, I think, yeah, yeah. as well. Th- that's also a point that was brought up with uh, Robieta, for example, because mm. the Deze sister is... Uh, actively promoting a sort of uh, uh, women quotum in, yeah. uh, in, so in, in, for example, political parties and in the Tweede Kamer and um, in uh, uh, CEO boards as well. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, Rob Jette was asked, should you just not run for party leadership and just let the two other female candidates yes. run for party leadership? Yeah. So then you are certain that You're you will have... You're guaranteed to have a woman as a leader. Indeed, yeah. So I wonder what he will do uh, yeah. with that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah, we mentioned Rita Verdon briefly, and that brings us on to the other party that may change its leader, the Fefe Day, which we we expected that uh, Rutte was going to uh, step down in time for the next election and make way for the for the next generation. But uh, now there seems to be a question mark about that, doesn't there? Yeah, because yeah. with the start of the new uh, coalition, um, it was widely speculated that Mark Rutte would leave the Netherlands and would go to Brussels to take one of the top positions there. Yeah. But as this uh, sort of circus. Uh, in Brussels started it was uh, very clear from the beginning that Mark Rutte was in no way a candidate yeah. or uh, seriously considered or even uh, stepping forward and yeah. Uh, so yeah he, he stayed in the Netherlands and that was yeah. sort of a surprise for many yeah it's kind um, of interesting everybody he said repeatedly I'm not a candidate I'm not putting myself forward as a candidate everyone said oh yeah you're just saying that yeah but it turned out to be true yeah indeed because he wasn't even in contention I think Rutte if he'd wanted a job in Brussels he'd have known which years to whisper in to get it he would definitely so, get yeah. it yeah <laughs> he's one of the more senior politicians in Europe now in, yes. uh, in the Council of, of Europe I think he's after Angela Merkel he's, he's the most senior yeah. uh, person yeah, and he's very close to Merkel as well indeed yeah. and Merkel is stepping down of course he's a very respected figure within Europe as well for example the, the BBC always turns to uh, Mark Rutte when they have some questions regarding Brexit for example yeah. and they're very happy with him because he answers he them he gives very good answers as well indeed <laughs> yeah he always gives an answer that uh, leaves the, the UK to, to talk about mm-hmm. yeah so yeah he can definitely Definitely go to Europe if he wants. I expect him to just uh, be the new leader of the favorite day in the next election. Mm-hmm. Um, he can either win, he can either lose. Uh, but if he loses, then he will not go into the Tweede Kamer. I'm certain of that. Yeah. They will probably find him a job. Like a lot of favorite day politicians, I think, is equally comfortable in the corporate sector or in politics. There'll be companies lining up to, to give him a job. You N- think. Not Unilever. Not Unilever no. anymore. No, I think no. it's Bridges with them, but plenty of others. Yeah. So um, uh, if, if he steps down, of course, the, 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 the crown prince uh, is always... Um, uh, named as uh, Klaus Dijkhoff. Is he the best candidate, do you think? Is, uh, well, I was uh, thinking about this question. Who, who who would fill Rutte's shoes? And I can't really come up with someone who is sort of the obvious uh, candidate. In the years before, it was always, in what you said, Klaus Dijkhoff who was expected to, to do this. But I think he sort of... A lot of people are fed up with him, I think. Yeah, because he, within the party. Within the party. because yeah. he And also uh, the electorate uh, itself as well. And mm. he has a very casual way yeah. of, uh, of, of debating and talking yeah. and that was fun and nice and refreshing yeah. at first but I think a couple of years later you see that as well with Rutte he's always laughing he's always smiling he's yeah. very happy he's always enthusiastic and I think uh 
Klaus Dijkhoff has the sort of the same effect with this yeah. casual way of, of responding and yeah. answering questions and yeah. debating. Yeah, although well, Rutte is also seen as a heavyweight politician as well, you know, a guy who makes decisions and gets things done. Yeah. So who is, who is actually the leader in the Five Days? Klaus Dijkhoff or is it Rutte? Well, Klaus Dijkhoff is the party leader. I think that's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, Klaus Dijkhoff is the parliamentary group leader, and I think he's, he, and he's held that position for quite a number of years. And I think within the internal party, he's very much the leader. Rutte, you know, is busy being prime minister yeah. and going around the world and being head of the government. So I think within the party, I mean, that's the other thing. If anyone wants to challenge Klaus Dijkhoff um, within the party and the party's internal structures, the person they have to get past is Klaus Dijkhoff, yeah. which makes it kind of difficult. You know, yeah. so I think he, I wonder if he's got too much, you know, he's got his fingers too deep into the party in, in a way that's maybe not healthy for the party itself. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think? Will Rutte be also be the leader for the next elections or not? I don't know. I think the thing is, and I'm amazed how often pundits and commentators in uh, in The Hague get Rutte wrong. So everyone seemed to think that he was going to get a job in Brussels. And he said repeatedly, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And uh, he, sure enough, he didn't. Uh, I'm trying to rack my brains to think if he's actually said at any point he's categorically not going to be leader at the next election. So I think if he has, yeah. then I don't think he will be. No. I think I think he's a man who sticks to his word in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so as well. I think that's, that kind of catches people off balance, actually. A politician who actually does what he says. I remember when the last election came around, the question came up, was he going to be leader again? And he, he spent about a week or a couple of weeks, I think, pondering and made a bit of a media event of it that he was going to stand again. So I think we'll see something like that. I think Rutte is very comfortable in, in, yeah. in his position right now as the prime minister. Um, yeah. I think he will try to stick to be prime minister as long as possible. Yeah. And uh, But I think as well, he's key. He's, I think he's aware that uh, prime ministers and politicians have a have a shelf life and there's a danger of going on too long. Yeah. Um, yeah that happened with Thatcher famously, who I think is one of his um, political inspirations. Mm. So It also happened with uh, Jan-Peter Balkenende. It did, indeed. Yeah. Who only was Prime Minister for eight years, and Mark Rutte yeah. is now heading into his 11th year. Well, that's the thing, I mean, Rutte will eventually overtake Lubbers as the longest-serving Prime Minister. Oh, how long did Lubbers serve Lubbers, as Prime Minister? Lubbers, I think, Minister? was 12 years. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Maybe that's his goal. He will just want yeah. to be the longest-serving Prime Minister in the history, and after that he will quit. He will go to Brussels. Maybe, Maybe that is his, uh, his ultimate goal. Yeah, well, perhaps he thinks he actually it has more influence in Brussels as Prime Minister of the Netherlands, because as you say, when Merkel steps down, he's pretty much the elder statesman. Yeah. Um, and he knows exactly how things work. He may feel he doesn't need a job in Brussels to to, to exert that influence. Yeah, indeed. Uh, what, what could be the effect of the election if, if these parties change their leaders? Yes, yeah, that's interesting, because um, uh, the Fefe Day... Uh, have been the front runners for some time, which is uh, remarkable in itself for a party that's been in government for getting on for 13 years. Um, they've won uh, the polling visor, um, the sort of poll of polls, uh, puts them on somewhere between anywhere between 29 and 35 seats. Then we have which is the same amount as they have right now, more right? or less. They have more 33 at the moment, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. 32 now, of course, now that uh, oh, even yeah. Van has <laughs> walked away. <laughs> and then Groen Links have uh, yeah, uh, quoted on uh, 15 to 19, and then a cluster of parties around the 15 mark, which is Pefefe, Forum, CDA, and Pefefe. So the three traditional parties, Pefefe, the CDA, and Pefefe, they've all risen to the top again. Hmm. The, the Pefefe had that disaster at the last election. Yeah, we're back uh, at the 90s, actually. Yeah, yeah. It was, there's been a drift to the centre, which is interesting. Maurice of Hunt in a poll uh, back in May found that either Wapakoostra or Hukla de Jonge could add 7 to 14 seats to the CDR's oh, wow. total. Wow. Which obviously in the context of Dutch politics we have uh, lots of 
medium-sized parties makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. Could make the yeah. CDR the biggest party again, yeah. which would mean that they either Fuchsdorf or de Jonge would be prime minister. So CDR yeah. now has 15 seats. So now some around 15, yeah. So adding 14 seats to them is 30 seats. So but yeah, that would be the expense of the favor they would lose some to. Uh, to oh that, yeah, definitely. Know, to, yeah, in that's in that true. Context. Yeah, so, yeah. so that would uh, they, they 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 could easily overtake uh, the favor they. I think basically anyone seats. who gets to 30 seats is going to be the biggest party in yeah. the current context. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's, so that's potentially interesting, and uh, I think I haven't seen the exact figures, but the Sigrid Kach is likely to have a galvanizing effect on Deus and Sestach, Although I'm not sure that they would um, get as far as being the largest party. <laughs> I think, I mean, given that the margins are so tight, and you know, just a party gaining or losing five seats makes a huge difference yeah. to the electoral numbers. Yeah. Um, definitely, a change of leader could make a difference. But we've also seen an example with Labour Party, for example, the, mm. the last time they changed leadership, um, we've seen that... Uh, they went down. They went down <laughs> very well, yeah, very much, actually, yeah. dramatically down, because yeah. uh, the, the, the leadership uh, competition there took a very nasty turn. It uh, turned out to be a very bitter... Uh, competition there yeah. and was sort of uh, Lodewijk Usher against uh, then Labour leader uh, Diederik Samsom and it took a very nasty turn there and it uh, wasn't very very much appreciated by the electorate and uh, yeah they went down even more than they were uh, in the polls back then um, yeah. at the time the competition started. Yeah so that's, that's another factor I suppose how these uh, leadership contests are managed um, could make a difference to how the parties fare. Well so yes 18 months to the elections there's still time to go well the two parties that will definitely change their leader which is Sadie and data Sestich will have their elections next year and then um, I think Rutte is supposed to decide um, by next summer whether or not he wants to lead a favourite day again yeah so yeah. and we also have a fourth coalition partner of course yes of course in Nuni, but I don't but think there's any challenge uh, to there's no challenge there no no, no. and they so, only have six seats anyway so, indeed. so we haven't forgot about the Christian Union yes. no, just not that interesting no except uh, you know, no, no. The, the Karla Schouten has uh, been the most high profile of their, their oh, ministers yeah. lately of course because she's been dealing with the farmers protest yeah, as indeed. agriculture minister. Yeah, yeah, they all have female candidates. They in do. Their, uh, yes. In, in, will, will, will any of them uh, dare to make uh, make that step? Yeah. We shall see. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and also a link to our survey. Please do uh, take five minutes to fill in our survey if you can. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the next podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, not to Molly Quell, um, <laughs> but we'll let you know if she's released. I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>